0: This week, we're on to the fifth passage in Second Timothy that I want to highlight for us. And that's Second Timothy, I'm assuming by now, since I've second t- said Second Timothy like four times, that you have Bibles. If you don't, obtain a Bible. Not the church's copy, your own copy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mess it up, write in it. If it feels irreverent to you to write in a Bible, get over it. If it feels irreverent for you to read it on the toilet... Get over it. It used to for me. I used to not want to read the Bible on the toilet because God's holy, and then it was like, wait a minute. Um, It's very important that I take whatever that I maximize whatever time I have to get as much Bible into my mind and heart as possible. So I had it was Clint Yoder, the previous pastor of this church, that that kind of rebuked me on that point. I said, I don't read the Bible on the toilet. That's irreverent. And he said, Tim, the Bible that we had growing up on the farm was missing a cover, it was missing Genesis, it was missing Revelation, it was missing a bunch of stuff. But it was the farm Bible that Dad already ha- always had with him on the farm. Mark, was that his name? And, and he said that Bible had cow manure on it, that Bible had dirt on it, that Bible had smudges all over it, it had water. That, like That Bible was with us for a reason. And we were constantly being told things from that Bible as we were on our workday. And I was like, that's an upgrade and I'm taking it. Instead of treating the paper and the leather with reverence, how about we treat the content with reverence by getting it up in us and treasuring it, right? The content is what should be reverenced. People mess up form for substance, and I guess I'm one of those people that can mess that up too. Okay. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds? Understanding comes from you. Understanding comes from you, Lord. Luke 24, and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Throughout the scripture, I'm thinking of the times where it said Jesus said this very plainly, but their minds were kept from understanding. So understanding comes from you. Only God reveals God. And So we invite you, God, and we ask you to reveal your truth to our hearts, to our minds, in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, 2 Timothy 3.5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And remember last time I talked about if you go to the furniture store, they set up a little fake a scenario, right? The fake uh, cardboard computer, maybe a little fake plastic phone that doesn't have internals. Everything's set up for what it would look like if you, li- if you bought the furniture and brought it home and put it in your office. But the phone looks like a real phone, it has a picture, a printout of a phone screen. How many of you have seen the little kids' toys? It's a fake iPhone, and it has fake apps. And, it's just, and you, you, That way the kid can pretend to have a phone, except nowadays the kids have a phone. Last night we were on the, we're sitting, I was sitting around by the campfire in the backyard, and Annie had her iPad, and I said, what app are you using? She said, I'm not using an app. I'm taking pictures of the fire. I'm like, Oh. She's a little camera person already. What in the world? But you could imagine if it were a fake one. It looks like a real phone, but the insides are missing. So what, just recapping, a few weeks back when we talked about this, I said, it's not that a person is is doing the bad stuff they shouldn't do. It's not that they come to church, but then they go do bad stuff. It's that they lack the nature of, they lack the inside components. right? The gospel's not stop doing the bad and do the good. The gospel's not turn around from sin and then obey God's, bo- God's book. That's not the gospel, but a lot of people think it is. The reason that's not the gospel is because that's impossible. Unless you make the tree good, the fruit won't be good, says Jesus. The gospel's not a list of rules that you should do. The gospel is an indwelling Jesus, who comes to dwell with us. It's a relationship. So we're dead to sin, alive not to... We're we're dead to sin, not alive to the law. We actually have to die to the law in order to die to sin so we can get to God. That's a whole separate sermon. But the reason that these people have a form, an appearance, the reason they're in church but they can't do any of the things that a Christian does is because they're not Christians yet. Because they have not surrendered and had the encounter that causes Jesus to create in them a brand new nature yet. They don't want what they should want yet. They don't love what they should love yet because they don't have what John John chapter 3, what Jesus calls new birth or being born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, says Jesus. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Unless you're born of God, you can never see the kingdom of heaven. You can't get in, so to speak, with human stuff. It takes a miracle. It takes God takes God. It takes God revealing, takes God calling, takes God empowering, takes God implanting the nature of Jesus in our heart. It's a miracle. Uh, let me let me put it another way. Look, you the Christian life's impossible. Not just some of the Christian life's impossible, the whole Christian life's impossible. Love God, love people is the basic version of it. It's impossible unless you're born again. And then suddenly, it's not impossible, suddenly, it's your nature. And the word suddenly is a little bit misleading there because there's still a maturation process. Babies can't do what adults can do. But what babies can do is make a lot of noise and poopies. And that's what we ought to get busy doing when we get saved. Open your mouth, start making a lot of noise. Cry out to the Lord for help and, and grace, and he'll give you grace. Cry out to the Lord and drink a lot of milk, and then you're going to make a lot of messes. And This is why we need the body. But as a young believer, you're supposed to feast on the words of Jesus from the scriptures. Feast on the Bible, because by the book, you grow up into your salvation. And without it, I don't care how many conferences you go to, I don't care how many times you fall down, you aren't growing. You're not going to grow without this book daily in your heart life. I guess I could turn this direction. Guys, you will grow to the extent to which this book becomes the thing that you think. This book. Either you'll have a relationship with this book or you will not grow. I've just, I've never seen it. Uh, Here's an old adage. If, If old people say it or dead people said it, it has a better chance of being accurate. It's just a sneaky little Tim hack. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Simple, right? Oh, that's too overstated. But I, I just told you it's not about we're dead to sin, alive to Bible. No, we belong to Jesus. We're in a relationship. But this right here is what fuels the relationship. This is your spiritual milk and meat. You go, how can it be milk and meat? Well, guess what? God doesn't put all the cookies on the bottom shelf, and He doesn't put all the cookies on the top shelf. He puts cookies on all the shelves, so there's always something fresh and new. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, you don't yet fully understand your Bible. You, if you think you've seen it all and you're bored with it, pray a better prayer. Help me. Open my eyes. Show me something I don't know. Teach, one day I was getting bored and I was like, I feel like I understand this thing. Ch- tell me something I don't know. And the Lord said, squid. And I was like, huh? So I spent the whole day researching squid, and my mind was blown. One creature he made that I knew nothing about blew my mind. Just one, just one. Them things are scary. I don't ever want to be in the water when humble squid come up out of the deep. Oh, they grab you and take you down and then eat you with their beak. They don't have they have a beak y'all their beak can can cut through a human femur <laughs> Andrew am I right <laughs> who needs who needs them Andrew's like why are you looking at me I'm not an expert Adriana knows more than me <laughs> ask me about batteries and nuclear power I know about all that stuff How did I even get there the book oh yeah the new nature it's it's not a, it's Christianity, he's not saying some of these people, they act right, but they don't do the right thing. They're naughty. No, no. They look like real Christians, but they're not real Christians. They come to church. They say the prayer. They sign the creed. They get in the water. They get out of the water. They come to the event. But they, don't, they can't do the things a Christian can do because they don't have the nature yet because it's about intimacy with Jesus and an indwelling Lord. And then he says this. This is really countercultural. Avoid... Do you see this? Do you see this? Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Well, that seems mean. That seems really mean. Avoid such people. In the Old Testament, God calls his people to live as missionaries. He plants them in the Shefei law. You know what the Shephelah is? It is a fertile land that, that you know, rain. You, if you want to know where it's going to rain, you, you can look at the geography. Mountains will, bodies of water, it'll pick up the, the water. Here comes a mountain, it'll drop it. And then, so in, in this valley, gets consistent rainfall, and there's a big old trade route for all the major countries that go around. So God plants Israel, his chosen people, a little group of people in the Shephelah, in fertile ground that happens to be central square of all the major trade routes. Right smack dab in the middle of the major uh, superpowers of the ancient world, he puts his little people and says, now, be holy in all you do. Don't intermarry. Don't worship their gods. Don't be influenced by them, but live right smack dab among them. He says harsh things about what his people are called to be. If people start to worship other gods, I want you to kill them with stones. Do not tolerate anyone among you betraying the Lord. Because if you don't, if you tolerate it, the sin you tolerate will spread. What starts as one idiot will become a whole group of idiots, and you'll betray me, so kill that person. Now, in the New Testament, we're going, oh, man, I wish God hadn't said that. And some people are like, well, that's not my Jesus. It actually is your Jesus who said that. Jesus is not a different God than the Old Testament God. He is the son of the Old Testament God. And he's not repenting of the things God did in the Old Testament, just to warn you. Okay. So how do we square that, remove the evil person from among you in the Old Testament, with Jesus, Luke 15, eating, eating, drinking with sinners, party animals. He's at the party where they're smoking pot and playing their music and getting drunk. He's at that party. He's Listen, he's at that party. He's with, he's with the tax collector, the guy who's betrayed all of their, his kinsmen. He's taken advantage of his Jewish brethren. He's working for Rome. And Jesus ter- goes to that guy, the traitor. Traitors are the worst of all, wouldn't you say? Party animal, certain kind of bad. You say, yeah, we shouldn't do that. But it's fun. But the traitor? And Jesus is with all those people. And he goes to Matthew and He says, Come follow me. And Matthew gets right up off his tax booth and comes and throws Jesus a party that night with his money that he stole from his brothers. And people are offended. People are offended at Jesus. So all I'm asking here is, how do you square this Old Testament thing of have nothing to do with them, don't intermarry with them, and if y'all start to do it, kill that guy quick before it influences the rest of you, and Jesus eating with sinners? How do you square those two truths? Are, am, I, am I making this clear enough? This tension between come away and come apart and be separate from them and love them, be with them, and among them. In the Old Testament, God's people were sent to live right in the smack dab middle of culture, working at a secular job with their kids at a secular school. I'm going to push some buttons with that, I know, but they're they're deeply enmeshed in secular culture. They're not siloed out in social little cliques of just Christians for me. Thank you very much. But the challenge is to be faithful to the missionary call and, per, and like actually in, in, in culture and yet not compromise my holiness. Because if I compromise my holiness, I compromise my mission. I can't help you if I'm like you. If I'm, if I'm, as, if, so we're in the world, but if the world's in us, it's like a boat. A boat should be in the ocean, but if too much of the ocean gets in the boat, it sinks. A Christian should be in the world, but if too much of the world gets in the Christian, we sink. Is that simple? So what in the world? This is a tension here, isn't there? By the way, in the New Testament, we don't kill anybody, not even our enemies. It's just to be clear. But the principle of holiness is so true that even in the New Testament, you, you, someone who refuses to submit to Jesus and to the church representing Jesus, after a couple of layers of that process of them saying, heck no, I do what I want to do, the church actually kicks them out. Are you, are you with me? So, so how does that work? Let me tell you how I understand that. Our response to a non-Christian or to a baby Christian is very different from our response to someone who should know better by now. Our response to someone who's been walking with Jesus for 10 years, five years, 10 years, has been entrusted with leadership, knows, has, has, has grown into things, and now has gone back into a sinful lifestyle that they definitely know better, and they're justifying it and resisting anyone who loves them enough to tell them, don't go this way. That person doesn't doesn't get the same response as someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. They don't know anything yet, but they're totally sincere. They're just trying to find their way through life. Totally different responses. Why do you think Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, but the sinners wanted to be around him? Because he was responding correctly, not by externals, but by heart postures. The heart posture is everything. Are you with me? An immature believer, but, but a sincere believer, that person gets encouraged and trained. But a rebelling believer receives a firm rebuke. Are you guys okay? It's kind of like parents, right? If you parent your two-year-old the same way that you parent your 17-year-old, something's going on in your parenting that's incorrect. Right? My two-year-old, if I'm like, hey, pick up this 50-pound 50, 50 bag and bring that over. I'm trying to work here. Can you help me? It's a different response. The fact, you know... Like when Adam Bauer was here, he talked about his little kid messing up the whole room and then he's like, pick up, your, pick up the stuff, pick up all your toys and the kid's just like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed because it doesn't have emotional capacity to handle. Looks at the room and like I remember this. I remember being a little kid and mom being like, pick up, clean up the basement. We, I, every sing, my, I had my cousins over. Every toy that we owned was on the floor. There, was no, there were no toys in the toy boxes. You look over a sea of just toys on their face, and you go, this is going to be me till I'm 40. I'll never finish. And he... Now, I don't ask that you do it perfect if you're real little. All I ask is that you try. And if you try, I'll help, and I'll do most of the cleaning, but I'll give you all the credit. Because you're little. And that's what I'm talking about here. It's all about heart attitude. You could be 16, get get do the job with a bad attitude, and it's almost the job technically is almost right, but the attitude is so bad that you end up getting grounded. Are you with me? You gave me lip. I I didn't appreciate it. You know? You put the thing back, but you slammed the cupboard door. Oh, okay, okay. Because it's all about this. And that's how I understand the tension between these, these commands of have nothing to do with them and also eat with sinners. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous. Like, go and learn the meaning of this. I actually desire mercy more than sacrifice. Loving people is more important than the ceremonial ritual holiness. So God's viewing the heart issues. He's always viewing the heart issues. All right. Is that okay? Should I move on? We got seven minutes because I left a couple minutes for prayer at the end. Next passage from 2 Timothy I want to look at is 2 Timothy 3. 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise able to make, if you're a fool, this is a great book for you, right? I I have to look up here so no one thinks that I'm pointing. (laughs) But scripture says that over and over, get whatever you get in all you're getting, because people are after, just look at every human that you've ever met. They're they're trying to get something. We're after it, man. Every single day, every human gets up and tries to get something, even if they're at home trying to just get alone and get rest. But people are all trying to get stuff. And Proverbs says, in all you're getting, would you please go after wisdom? Would you get wisdom? Would you get understanding, a a synonymous parallelism that Hebrew poetry likes to use, say the same thing, a different word. Get wisdom, get understanding. Because knowledge is information, but wisdom is knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing what to do. Understanding gives you a clue for what's happening so that you know what to do. And Paul says, this book right here, This book right here, as you dig into it to know the Lord, not to be right, to know the Lord, as you dig into it, the sacred writings are able, there it is again, that's the word for power, the sacred writings are powerful at making us people of understanding, people who have a clue, people who are alert, people who are aware of what is going on and know what to do next. Right, because wisdom is knowing what to do next. Was that a train? Oh, I, I wish it were a train. The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Able, they're able. They're powerful. Another scripture, another scripture is Hebrews chapter 4 that says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes. It's living and active. It's doing stuff to us. Okay. Able to what? Able to make you wise. So I don't want to say your Bible matters more than anything else because I'm really working on not exaggerating as a human. I really am. Like we talked about it, right? All in this language is bad. All, you always, you never. But exaggeration is another form of lying. Always and never are most of the time inaccurate. And that's how we catastrophize, by the way. This is a sidebar. We exaggerate in our language and then we give ourselves permission to feel more upset than the facts really would allow us to be. But we exaggerate in our way. We talk about what happened and then we catastrophize and then we're fit to be tied over something that's relatively a small deal. But I'm trying to not exaggerate. So instead of saying, the Bible's the most important thing, do I know that for a fact? So here's what I would like to say. The Bible is an invaluable tool for you to know Jesus and do His will. Invaluable. Invaluable. The focus of all Scripture, according to this passage, is knowing Jesus. The Bible is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Lots of people use the Bible to push their agenda. Some people's agenda is political in nature. Do you guys remember the the movie, The Book of Eli? The bad guy in the movie, The Book of Eli, wanted that book. Why did he want the book? Why did he want the book of Eli? It's a spoiler I just gave. It's an old enough movie, I can spoil it. Why did the bad guy want the the Bible in The Book of Eli? Because he knew that if he had this book, the masses, he could could twist the words, because this is God's book, he could twist the words up so he could control people. But that's not what it's for. Some people try to treat it like it's a science manual. Ah, this this is how old the the world is. Now I I can disagree with all the scientists because of the way I understand this Genesis part of this book. That's not what it's for. I agree with, by the way, what it says in Genesis, but that's not what it's for. Some people trying to treat this book like it's a book of how everyone has to live if they're going to make it into heaven. That's not what it's for. Some people treat this book like it, it's the key and the code that unlocks when everything's going to finally blow up. When is it all going to burn? Why do we humans love that stuff? We, we love that stuff. But every five years, it's time for another Armageddon movie because humans are like, oh, I love to watch everything burn. <laughs> what is our fascination? Uh, we, we say we're like, oh, I'm scared. But the truth is, I think we kind of want it all to just finally be done. It's very exhausting. I need a big old nap. <laughs> Can we get an asteroid in here? I'm kind of tired. I don't get it. But that's not what the book's about, although the book does have very helpful and true talk about where things are headed in human history in fact the whole book's really about the flow of history but primarily the book has its own purpose and humans didn't get to pick what the purpose was it's a giant love story the focus is jesus as the hero rescuing us as the beloved who needs rescuing by the way i need rescuing and this book is the story that if I meditate on and and believe and live out, I can walk close with him in life and please him in life so that I know him so well that I can die without fear and get a well-done faithful servant. We can get there. Oh, look, my timer says, and it's time to transition. The focus of Scripture is Jesus. The whole book, beginning to end, is actually finds its purpose in Jesus. So Jesus, Luke 24, went through all the law and the prophets and showed how he was the fulfillment of it. He's the true and better Moses. He's the true and better Joseph. He's the true and better sacrifice. He's the true and better temple. He's the true and better lamb. He's the true and better prophet. All the different things. You You can literally take every single book of the Bible and he's the true and better. Everything else was shadows. He's the light. So the focus of this book should be knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, pleasing Jesus. I, I, I remember I, I figured out that <laughs> Genesis chapter six that says, "And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they laid with them, and they had these giant Anakim children, the heroes of old." And I said, "What is going on?" And I did all this I did a whole research paper on the Nephilim. these fallen angels, evil fallen angels that had sex with real human women, and then they had giant babies. And then in Noah's flood, they all ended up in a big giant pit being held for Judgment Day. And Jude and Second Peter both talk about it. And they quote another guy called Enoch. And Enoch's not in our Bible, but they quote him like he's telling the truth. Now, I said that, and some of y'all are like, I'm going to research this. Bro, it's called a cul-de-sac. It doesn't matter. But it was kind of like neat what now? Angel's doing what? To who? Oh, that can't be consensual. What's going on? That can't be right. But I'm telling you right now, some people's whole life is that kind of stuff. Their whole ministry is a hobby horse. You know why it's so important to keep the main thing the main thing? Because if we're not in, oh, I'll just let you finish that. Why is it so important that we intentionally keep the main thing the main thing? to keep our focus. What's gonna happen if we're not purposeful to keep the main thing the main thing? It's very likely that something that's not the main thing will become our main thing. And then when that happens, what's probably gonna happen is the thing that's supposed to be our main thing, we ain't gonna do it. Jesus made the main thing really really simple. It's so simple, it's crazy. Ready for it? It's so basic. It's, It's not insulting, it's actually clarifying. You exist to be loved by God and to love others. Now, I, I, I kind of oversimplified. There's one that I missed. Love God, love people. Greatest commandment is love God, by the way. God's more important than people. Yeah. And if, by the way, if you don't think that, if you think people are more important, if, if, and you, might, you wouldn't say that out loud with your mouth, but what happens is, You will bend the Bible to not hurt people's feelings if loving people is more important to you than loving God. You'll betray Jesus because it's his job to forgive to not hurt people's feelings. We'll get more on that later. All right, let me get off the stage here or the the carpeted portion of the front area. We'll pick up with this same passage next time because I have stuff to say about it.